Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast. I am Adam Lavecki, and I am here with DK Kim and we are your hosts. Thank you for joining us. We are in this space to help you renew your mind and transform your life. We will be having helpful, honest, and hard conversations about culture and the kingdom of God. These conversations will help you to not be conformed to this current culture and will help you to grow in Christ. Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel and make disciples. This is an ongoing digital discipleship discussion. If you find this helpful, please subscribe, review, and share the Be Transformed podcast. This is episode three, Roe vs. Wade. Adam Levecki here. I'm with DK Kim, and we acknowledge that this is going to be a difficult conversation. There's no easy way to talk about Roe versus Wade. Um, it's highly uh, politicized, and um, the more politicized something is, often the more polarizing it is. But as Christians, we want a prophetic perspective, we want a biblical perspective, we want a kingdom of God perspective. And so to put things in their proper perspective, let's start with some facts. I know we live in a generation that has a hard time with facts, and we have all the fact checkers that don't actually like facts. But let's look for a moment at some hard facts. Since 1973, America has aborted over 63 million babies. 27 million of those babies are African American, are black. That is a profoundly disproportionate number based on the population. So it's important that we we start with that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was prejudiced and it's a fact. That's part of the story. So it's important that we dialogue on that. So now... Giant Stadium, MetLife Stadium, the, the proper name, seats 82,500 people, okay? The amount of babies that have been aborted since 1973 in America alone could fill MetLife Stadium to capacity 763 times. So let's stop for a minute, have an awkward silence and feel the gravity and the reality of this tragedy. Roe versus Wade was recently overturned June 24th, 2022. So abortion is no longer a constitutional right. And in my opinion, ab- abortion was never a constitutional right in reality. That's why when it was contested with in the Supreme Court, it lost because uh, it is not a constitutional right. We mourn over miscarriage and we rejoice over the right to abort a baby. This lacks empathy and intellectual integrity. It doesn't make any sense. Similar to, God forbid, if someone ran into uh, you know, 7-Eleven, a convenience store, and started shooting people and they shot, God forbid, a pregnant woman, they're going to be charged with double homicide. Double homicide. So it's not just a fetus, it's a person. You don't get charged with homicide if it's not a person. And so I, I just want to just kind of lay that out there a little bit. Now, DK, I realize that you've had uh, an epiphany, <laughs> a revelation, an evolution, um, 
insight into this matter recently. So what is your story on the, this whole abortion topic and this reality? Yeah, Adam. So, um, yeah, just to set the context of my, my journey, uh, I grew up atheist for most of my life. So my worldview was shaped by the culture. And, you know, for lack of a better term, it was probably a humanist worldview. Um, my highest value was personal freedom, personal choice. I did not like authority. I did not want people to tell me what to do. Um, and, you know, now I know that's a counterfeit view of, a, of freedom, where it actually puts me in more bondage, but that's another topic. But anyways, yeah. that's kind of what I was grew up in. And then in my late 20s, I encountered Jesus. I, I, I went to church, you know, I became a Christian. Um, but the interesting thing was at that time, um, the, this topic of abortion was not really discussed. So it wasn't really um, in my formative years in my discipleship. Uh, so at the end, this topic, I only kind of knew it through the lens of the media, the lens of friends who were passionate about this issue on both sides. So I kind of took it as, hey, this is a highly politicized matter. Um, I'm just focusing on my spiritual growth. I'm sp focusing on the things of the kingdom. I'm, I don't want to like really engage it. So I kind of went through my early formative years, not really thinking about it, talking about it, really wrestling with what's going on here. Now you fast forward about 10 plus years with this recent decision. Um, and when I witnessed the, the reaction of the culture, of the society, of people, um, this was a really, really heated debate. It was very important, and I, I was faced with a decision to wrestle with this. There was no way to not internalize this, process it, and really understand, you know, what, where do I stand here? What do I need to do? So that's what I did. I engaged it. I thought about it. But the surprising thing was that it didn't take me very long to really understand where I stand. And it was very clear to me, it was night and day, that, hey, I don't support abortion. And it really felt like the, the pro-choice stance, the pro-choice arguments did not fall in line with the Christian biblical worldview. To me, it did not align with the things of the kingdom. And I think there were two things in my, in my discipleship, in my formation, that really guided me to this place. And number one, it was that I believe God is the author of life. Before that, you know, there was no author of life. We were just, whatever you want to call it, random things. We were just formed out of nothing. But once I became a Christian, I understood God was the author of life. And that was essential. Before that, life was in my hands, but now life is in his hands. Hey, that's really important. Can we interact on that real yeah, most briefly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you go to a public school with Big Bang and with evolution and Darwinism, what you do is they, they remove God from the equation. Yeah. So since he's not the creator, he's not obligated to care for his creation. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he can't legislate morality. He can't tell us what's right and wrong. So we'll do whatever it is we feel. Mm -hmm. And that's highly, highly destructive. It's interesting that you brought that up because, you know, as Christians, we believe that uh, life begins at conception and we, we, don't, we don't believe it's a fetus. We believe it's a baby. And uh, historically speaking, when, when, um, when white people wanted to sell black people in the transatlantic slave trade, they dehumanized them. Mm, how so? 
uh, they didn't they called them like three-fifths of a person mm. um, and so the same principle with Hitler Hitler dehumanized Jews with white supremacy and this Aryan supremacy and then he threw them in ovens and then we've done the same thing if we want to keep it it's a baby if we want to kill it it's a fetus so we alter the language and that tr that changes the direction and it changes our moral obligation and so it's very important that God is the author of life. Scripture is clear on that. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I formed you. I fashioned you. That, that's, that's really, really important, you know, as we continue to dive into this. So I just wanted to just share that. Oh, that's good. That's real good. Yeah. So that was, that was key. That's a key fundamental truth that we have. And then the other end of it that kind of helped me land where I land today is um, that God is the redeemer of all things. And I think what's kind of tricky and complex about this issue is that uh, we take into account the circumstances of the mother. And, you know, there's a lot of arguments about, you know, really bad situations they're in. Sometimes kids are born out of a really bad situation. And I th yes, I, I affirm that and acknowledge that. But I think now when I, that I believe that God could redeem everything. He could redeem a bad situation. He, he, is, he has the final authorship of our life. And he is so good that when he touches our life, even the bad things will work, work against itself to a redemptive narrative. So if I couple that with he is the author of life, it was just very clear to me that, you know, yeah. or abortion's wrong. That's mm -hmm. awesome. And, yeah. you know, also, too, with the whole pro-choice movement, it's fascinating how it's built on choice, but it doesn't give the baby a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah, um... So that's where I am today, but now I feel like I got to work backwards. Like, I landed here with those two fundamental truths, but I really want to unpack, like, where does the church stand on this? Like, why does it stand here? What's the history? What's the supporting scriptures? Just, just like the main things to kind of help someone like me or someone listening out there who's kind of on the fence, who's wrestling through this, to kind of, like, give the foundational, you know, firm foundation on this topic. So... I have some big questions I could, you know, ask you, Adam, um, if you want to start there. Yeah, I'm happy to dialogue on this. I mean, when you go into Exodus, the first chapter, you find that Pharaoh is ordering the Hebrew midwives to kill the Hebrew children. And the scripture says that they feared, the, the midwives feared God, not Pharaoh, and therefore they wouldn't kill the Hebrew, Hebrew uh, boys. And so the first thing we have to understand is the enemy is after the promised seed. So in the Old Testament, you know, the, the whole Old Covenant, um, from a biblical perspective, is the preservation of a seed. The New Covenant is a revelation of a son. So the enemy, from the very beginning, is trying to destroy the seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. This is prophecy in Genesis 3.15, where there's going to be a seed from woman that crushes the serpent's head. And Matthew Henry, the biblical commentator, said that that happened when Jesus' feet were nailed to the tree. Mm. So from the beginning, the enemy is trying to kill the seed. He puts murder in the heart uh, you know, of Cain, and Cain kills Abel. This is brother on brother, right? This is from the very beginning. And so then you have you know, the children of Israel, they're enslaved, and they're growing, they're getting persecuted, they're multiplying. And Pharaoh's afraid of them because he's looking at this workforce going, this could be an army. So out of fear, he wants to kill the Hebrew boys. And the midwives say, absolutely not. And so when you fear God, 
you don't fear man. And sometimes fearing God means that Pharaoh cannot control your conscience. Pharaoh cannot tell you what to do. And you have to have what I would call a gentle uh, resistance and just say, no, no, Pharaoh, (laughs) we're not going to kill the Hebrew boys. And so you have that. And then within the biblical narrative, you also have um, people who offer their children to Molech. Molech is a burning statue that was heated uh, and and lit on fire, basically. And it it had arms kind of like that would stick out. And they they would take a living child and put it on the altar. And it would incinerate and burn the child up as a blood sacrifice, the sacrifice to Molech. And and that is exactly uh, what Planned Parenthood is, is the spirit of Molech and it is economically driven. So they have a profit in um, killing. And it's like Planned Parenthood. It's actually planned not to be a parent. Like it's even the name is is deceiving and deceitful and dishonest. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm speaking strongly because that's the reality. And, and sometimes reality has to be spoken as it is, not as we would like it to be. And so if you fast forward to the New Testament, Herod is killing the, uh, the firstborn, uh, the, the, the babies, again, the Hebrew boys in Bethlehem. And, and so that's happening when, when Jesus is coming forth. So in two generations where God is raising up a deliverer and there's a mass exodus out of darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom... There is this this bloodshed, this incessant, violent bloodshed of children. And and so that's the reality. Now, the, the third thing, and this is historically a reality as well, is that the early church was known to rescue babies and young children. And they were known to care for the widows and the orphans. And so this is what the early church was known for. There's a place called Gehenna, which is outside of uh, Jerusalem, and it was a it was a trash dump, where in, in Mark's gospel it says that the fire isn't quenched and the worm doesn't die, and that was the metaphor that Jesus used to help people visualize hell, mm-hmm. where we get the word hell. It's not even the word that it's actually this word Gehenna, and that is and and that was a picture of the plight of the poor in Jesus' day. So these children were left to die there, and um, aborted babies were thrown there, Mm. and there was trash there that was just burning and burning, and the early church was known to go and rescue babies who were alive and rescue children. And so this is our heritage as the people of God. We have a value for human life because humans are created in the image and in the likeness of God, God himself is the author of life. So if you're against life, you're against God. And some people may listen, like, oh, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Well, God believes in you. And he gave his best because he valued you that much. Because his love for you is not determined on your belief or your behavior, but it's determined on his love and him choosing to love you. Yeah, yeah. And if you can receive that and you can open up your heart and say, wow, that sounds like good news, man. I kind of want to engage with a God like that, and then that's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that is 
the God that the Holy Spirit reveals according to the scripture to the hearts of people who are seeking. And so that, that I want to just want yeah. to say that you may not believe in God, but he believes in you. Yeah. So that, that's a really great historical review of the church, how we always protected the weak, how we always protected children, the unborn and whatnot. The suffering. The suffering, yeah. Even, I know this is a post-pandemic uh, time um, and pandemic, pandemic, it depends on who you're talking to. But during the Black Plague in England, the church never shut its doors. And they cared for the sick and the dying. Mm-hmm. When you look at the, 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 the invention of orphanages, really, and hospitals, you're talking about Christians. I, I know that that's, that's foreign to some people, but that, that is a historical reality. Yeah, just the whole yeah. idea of the value of human life, that all human life is equal. That's birth from a kingdom Christian worldview. Um, Yes, so that was a really good historical background. I think um, to a listener today, one thing they might have trouble kind of connecting is like, okay, that was back then. That was babies being born. And and yeah, I'm, I'm against killing babies. But if you look at today, the argument's really made with, is it a baby, is it not? And I think language plays a big part here. Um, and I think there's a lot of disconnect with, you know, is it even life or not so i thought can you talk a little bit more about that and even just like scripturally how does that support you know yeah yeah so well first of all um a baby has a a separate heartbeat so when people are like my body my choice well well hold on there um that child in the womb has a heartbeat of its own so that is not your body that's someone else's body inside of your body in addition to that scientifically speaking that baby does not have the exact same dna as the mother so if you want to talk about trusting the science and not trusting the feelings or the convenience or the political perspective but actually really talk about choice you want to really talk about pro-choice i am pro the baby having a choice to live. And so, you know, you, you, people say, oh, well, man, so you don't care about the mother. Not at all. Of course I care about the mother. It's very harmful and very destructive when a woman terminates a life inside of her. It kills a part of her. And the good news is that in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven, you can be restored, you can be redeemed. That trauma can go. But there's also lasting consequences. Sometimes people have hard time, you know, having children. There's all types of uh, complications that come from this. So, I mean, th- this is like not only from a biblical perspective, but also from a scientific perspective, from an emotional and a psychology, uh, psychological perspective. Um, from I mean, this is this is just bad on on a bunch of levels. So. Um, another thing, like in terms of court, like I mentioned earlier, like you, you shoot a pregnant woman, you're going to get charged with double homicide. Why? Because there's a baby in there. It's not a fetus. It's very convenient to call it a fetus when you want to stick metal tongs inside a woman and pull a baby out limb from limb. Or when they want to shoot in like a saline solution that, that basically incinerates a child and, and the baby comes out with what looks like third-degree burns. It almost looks like you put the baby on a grill. 
I mean, it's it's horrific. Like you, you may say, oh, I'm pro-choice. Okay, have you ever seen an abortion? It is the most horrific, horrible, um, terrible thing to see. And, and, and when they stick the forceps in there to try to pull the baby out, the baby moves. So the idea that a baby doesn't feel pain, that's incorrect. That's scientifically not true. And um, people and, and babies have trauma inside the womb. If they weren't a person, they couldn't have trauma inside a womb. So, so this idea, there, there's so many ways that you could dialogue on this but the reality is that this is it's just destructive and what makes it difficult is that you have um legislature and you have economics behind this monster and so the fact that the supreme court said this is not a constitutional right and now it's going back to the states i view that as a very good thing but the church is going to have to be the voice of jesus in the earth and it's going to have to be the hands and feet of jesus and we're going to actually have to step up and do something instead of just vote for someone who's pro-life. That's nice. That's a great start. But what about the, the, the woman who's suffering, um, who, who feels shame, who feels isolated, who has, um, you know, who's ch challenged, economic challenges, you know, she's young. So we, we have to, you know, put our money where our mouth is and actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. But um, yeah, I, I think that, that on a bunch of different levels... Um, abortion is murder, and it is um, super destructive not only to the child but to the mother, and it's really damaging uh, to men, mm -hmm. believe it or not. And here's the thing: I, I believe most uh, women, nine out of ten women, if if the man decided to actually be a man and take care of what he helped create, nine out of ten women would be like, "Let's have this baby." But the issue is we live in a generation that values pleasure over commitment. And so when you give someone ple you know, pleasure before commitment, they, they will always value pleasure over commitment. And so they'll, they'll, they'll try to escape the responsibility of taking care of what they've created. Now, if you take that same idea with a dog and you adopt a dog and you neglect the dog, you can go to jail. <laughs> see you you kill a dog you're going to jail you kill a baby they're like you know what go for it man you free choice your body your choice i mean this it's delusional totally delusional yeah i mean there's a lot of good points you hit there and you did mention you know like we need to do more as a church so what what what's your thoughts on you know I mean there's there's so much things this 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 topic opens up with this decision it opens up more questions about how do we even legislate things how do we enforce things but just take it back like on a personal level on a local church level like what what is the way we should respond like like what is the way Jesus would respond in this, in this place because I feel like there's half the half the country that's celebrating this but then there's also another half that's really in, in fear, anger, shame, hurt. So how, how do like what's the way to go about this? The beauty of Jesus is that Jesus speaks to people where they are. He doesn't speak to them where we wish they were, where they think they are. <laughs> he speaks to people where they are. So we need to have discernment 
from the Holy Spirit to be able to understand where someone is and be able to speak to them there, which starts by listening. So that's that's really critical. Um, that that's one thing. But but the other thing is that you know it is a, a win culturally, and I don't think that that's wrong to rejoice and to actually say, "Wow, people have been praying." I know people that have been jailed, slapped, spit on, mocked, uh, all types of things because their stance for pro uh, pro life. And so I celebrate their sacrifices, their giving, their prayers, their showing up at abortion clinics to literally say, we are here to help, literally. I mean, I've, I've seen my brother and I one time were at an abortion clinic in Hackensack, and he actually uh, talked a young woman, a Peruvian woman, out of killing her own child. So I think that we should celebrate, we should be the voice of God in the earth, we should be the voice of compassion, but not the voice of compromise. Compromise is not compassionate because what it does is it helps someone sear their own conscience and become more numb and more desensitized and it's dehumanizing. It's not, it's not, it's not loving to not tell the truth. I can't say that I love you and then lie to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, this is um, a lot. I feel like we only scratched the surface on this matter as we discussed this. But like, what? What do you have like a word for our listeners? Um, you know, those that might have in my this might topping my might touch them with a with a painful history or yeah. something they're going through in the present time. Like, you know, just a word of encouragement on on this. Yeah, my word is that Jesus came to save sinners. And so if you had an abortion, had three abortions, um, if you encourage someone else to, there is forgiveness, healing, mercy, and grace in Jesus. Um, And so you can come to him as you are, And the good news is you don't have to stay like that. And he'll help you work through pain, trauma, self-bitterness and self-hatred. Whatever you're battling, he's there with you in it if you humble yourself and call out to him and ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you. And so I, I just say a great picture of Jesus for you to always kind of keep in your heart and your mind is... When Jesus was nailed to the tree, his arms were outstretched to the world. Scripture says that he will in no, anyone who could, Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast them out. So if you come to him with sincerity and like, man, God, I, I've, I didn't know that this was bad or I, I didn't really think of it in this way or man, if you come to him in humility, there's grace. And what I love about grace is that grace doesn't leave me where I am, you know. Grace empowers me to live the life that God has ordained for me. And, and the good news is with God, there's mercy too. Because mercy means I don't get what I deserve. And grace means I get what I don't deserve. I get what Jesus deserves. And so I would say don't let sin and shame and don't let the past keep you from pursuing Jesus in the future that he has for you. So we're going to end the episode here. And as we wrap up, we want to acknowledge that we may have only scratched the surface when it comes to discussions around abortion. 
and I am aware that this is nested in a complex system of brokenness without any overnight solutions that fully answer what happens now and moving forward. But our intention for this episode was to define a starting point to approach this matter from a biblical lens and not from our cultural lens. And we hope we were able to at least accomplish that today. And for me personally, this is just the beginning of my understanding and thought process around this. So I offer my position with conviction, but with humility, knowing that there's so much more to listen and learn, and also to remember that there are real human experiences behind this. And that's really my hope for the body of Christ, that together we can take a posture to continue to engage, listen, and dialogue with the goal to pursue the mind of Christ, discern his spirit without compromise, but also with compassion, because that is who he is, and that represents the kingdom of God. This is DK Kim with Adam Lavecki. Thank you for listening. Adam Lavecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you have found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.